Happy Friday, everyone, and thank you for joining us on Fried Okra, the public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Copernall Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA. Fried Okra is a weekly podcast where we get together to talk about public education issues in Oklahoma. We hope you'll join us every Friday. Well, we are joined this morning by the magnanimous Amanda Ewing, lead of our legislative team. Amanda, how are you? I'm good. Thank you. Well, there, I mean, as always, lots going on, but we're to the point in the session where lawmakers are sending their bills to the governor's desk. Um, can you give us an update on some of the things that the governor signed? Sure. Um, there's been some, uh, I mean, some good bills and some not so good bills that mm-hmm. have become law this week, but uh, I think a lot of them are interesting. I would say, uh, one that was kind of controversial uh, that he signed this week was House Bill 2030. This says that starting in the school year 22-23, uh, all of our high school students are going to have to pass the U.S. naturalization test in order to graduate. Yeah, uh, 60 out of 100 questions. I mean, that's like a long test. That is a long test for anybody. And that's not even what what people have to pass when they take the actual naturalization test. I just want to point that out, not to interrupt, but I just have my own commentary <laughs> about this weird bill. I am just keeping my um, thoughts inside I just, on that right I now. Just, like every history teacher is like, oh, you know what I would love to do? A 100 question <laughs> exam. <laughs> All my students want to do that. And right. take it as and many times as they want until they get the exactly. grade that they need. Oh my gosh. Because that is not interruptive of the <laughs> educational schedule. They, they have to take it to graduate, right? This is now a, it's essentially an EOI. High stakes. Yeah, right? Yes. Cool. Great. <laughs> but but our legislature continues to make laws that are unconstitutional. Well. So perhaps I have an idea <laughs> of where we can start with the testing. Just take it till you, take it till you pass. Um, what else? What else got signed this week? Um, we have a bill that requires, it says colleges can't require a high school student to score higher than a three on any AP test in order to get course credit at that college. That's okay. House Bill 2750. Um, we have another one that uh, OEA uh, worked on and supported. This is actually our second session in a row to uh, support this bill, so we were glad to see it passed. Senate Bill 89 kind of reframes health education in our schools. Okay. Um, it's saying that by uh, the school year 23-24, all schools must teach either as a standalone course or as part of PE uh health education and that health education has to include physical, mental, intellectual, and social and emotional health. Mm -hmm. So, you know, kind of a more broad way to think about health education. Mm -hmm. And the bill requires the State Department to create a micro-credentialing program and professional Mm -hmm. development for the health teachers. And, and, you know, uh, the state's going to adopt all new health education standards to, to kind of lay out the framework for this course. It sounds positive. That sounds exciting. I mean, it's important yeah, to yeah. look at children holistically. Yes. And, and and have them look at themselves holistically yes. and be able to pinpoint, oh, I'm not mentally like I need help yeah. in this area. I mean, Oklahoma has a lot of health needs in our adult population. Yes. And in our student population. So awesome. What else is what else is signed? We um, well, so another one is Senate Bill 21. 
Um, that is suicide awareness training for teachers and students. Mm. It's been just kind of uh, allowed until yeah. now that schools can teach it. But yeah. this bill is going to mandate that starting this upcoming school year, uh, you know, every school must teach suicide awareness training. It's critical. It's critical because, I mean, I only taught for two years. And that is an issue that I that my students faced. Mm-hmm. And I would have loved training because whether you're ready or not, there are kids who who need that help that they need it right then. And you, you know, you're whether you like it or not, you're kind of the frontline responder. Yeah. When that stuff comes up. And what do you do when a student does commit suicide? Right. How do you help the students that are left in the classroom? Right. Beyond that, we need to have mental health help for our educators yes. who lose students as yes. well and then have to and then and then help the other students through right before they can even process it themselves right so that sounds great yeah i think several of these bills it feels like are you know request bills from from educators and from mm-hmm. people in legislators communities i know that that senate bill 21 was a bill brought by senator k floyd mm-hmm. here in oklahoma city and, you know, Senator Floyd was came from a legal background, so she wasn't mm-hmm. an educator. But I have no doubt that, you know, folks in her district have asked her to bring bills like this. And mm-hmm. there are a couple of more uh, bills also that I want to mention that I think um, also seem to have come from uh, a request by educators. Mm-hmm. House Bill 2748 uh, finally creates a pathway for early childhood and elementary education teachers to have kind of a temporary or alternative certification while they're working on their, uh, their traditional certification. Okay. So for up to three years, you know, if they're making progress toward certification, they can get this uh, temporary cert and be, be teaching uh, while they're, you know, each year they're required to meet more, more steps, pass tests, do, you know, take classes. Uh, so I know that that's something that came uh, at the request of educators. And, and then um, we're in Council a 27- teacher shortage, to say the least. Yeah. So, <laughs> so yes. So, sorry. Go ahead, Amanda. Um, House Bill 2749 is, uh, I think, another educator request. It says that if a district receives more than $2,500 in Reading Sufficiency Act remediation and intervention funds, mm-hmm. that the district has to spend at least 10% of those funds on professional development. Uh, for teachers in grades K through five, mm-hmm. and it must uh, address the science of learning to read. So I think we've got a lot of educators that are really wanting to provide, you know, the the best quality education to these struggling readers yeah. in elementary school. They've been kind of asking for, uh, can can we do more to make sure that we're getting the professional development we need? Right, right not just a consultant, a high paid consultant coming in and saying right. you're doing it wrong. <laughs> it's always helpful, but. Quality professional development and 10% of $2,500. I mean, come on, that's $250. That's not a lot of, of professional development, but it's a start. You know, it's interesting listening to you talk about these different bills, Amanda. To me, what I hear is educators who want to be good at their jobs. They're like, give us the resources and the ability to take care of our kids in all the ways that, that teachers take care of their kids and support staff take care of their kids. So um, I sometimes we get caught up on, in um, – bills that are like I don't know insane (laughs) like or terrible um but like this like it's cool to hear all this other progress that's happening um that's maybe not like flashier or you know as 
as widely discussed, but it's it's still good stuff. But it shows who we are as educators. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah I think early in session, you know, we do get, uh, you have to kind of uh, focus on the shiny things and you yeah. have to kill the voucher bills and, yeah. you know, be concerned about, I mean, the legislature was really obsessed with passing the new open transfer uh, law yes. early in session. And so we were working on these big bills. Yeah. I, I love that at this point in session, you really get to dig down into policy and, yeah. and start passing bills that, you know, maybe aren't sweeping changes, but they're significant changes yeah. that matter in our public schools. It's kind of a, you know, it's a neat time in session. Um, so speaking of that, like give us a look right now is uh, we, we've passed the last sort of major deadline before signy die. And so now it comes to the compromise part of session, correct? Which maybe, maybe a challenge for some of our lawmakers, <laughs> maybe their favorite <laughs> time. I don't know. Um, Give us a look. We want to be in the room where it happens. (laughs) I don't. No, thank you. Um, So like where, where, like talk about what's happening right now at the Capitol. So I think uh, compromise part of session, you can call it chaos. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) I mean, for a bill to become a law, just, you know, um, Civics 101, as we Mm -hmm. know, the same version has to pass the House and the Senate, mm-hmm. right? You you have to, both houses have to pass the identical bill for that bill to go to the governor. Well, right now we've got all sorts of bills out there where, you know, it passed the House and then it was amended in the Senate mm-hmm. or vice versa. So both bills, you know, so a bill has passed both houses, but it is not the same version that passed both houses. So, um, you know, one example is uh, that I think has been in the news this week is House Bill 1775. Mm-hmm. When that bill passed the House, it was Riley's rule. It was a bill focused on uh, mental health education. Mm-hmm. It went over to the Senate and was gutted and new language put in. And this is a bill that says that uh, institutions of higher ed can't mandate diversity training for any staff or students. And then it really uh, specifies several points that uh, are not allowed to be taught anymore in K-12 or higher ed. Um, it's a bill that's trying to get at theory and some of the uh, some of the topics around racism and sexism that make some of our legislators uncomfortable and some of our, you know, Oklahomans, frankly, uncomfortable. So, sure. um, so, so we should just never talk about it again. Problem and it'll solved. go away. Problem solved. Yeah. They need to just ask us, Amanda, is what needs to happen. <laughs> We've got the solution here. <laughs> so how so like so it's then what old. so then what happens with that? Like now that it's like completely so, different. Right. 1775 has passed both houses, but it hasn't passed in the same version. So mm-hmm. uh, now it goes back to the house or it went back to the house uh-huh. this week. And the house had the option with that bill. This is kind of a good one to use as an example of what happens with all the bills this session uh-huh. right now. Um, the house had the option. They could either accept the Senate amendments and pass the, you know, pass the same version that the uh-huh. Senate passed. Or they could reject the Senate amendments and send that bill to conference. Um, once the bill goes to conference, you know, it's real hard to predict what's going to happen. The House assigns uh, conference com- committee members. The Senate assigns conference committee members. And they're all supposed to get together and decide on a final version of the bill and say, okay, this is it. This is the best we can do. And that final conference committee version then goes back to both the House and the Senate for an up or down vote. And if both houses pass it, it heads to the governor. Okay. Clear as mud, right? I just want to say that 
the, this, I would like to be in that room where it happens. I, these, this is what I imagine. I imagine that everyone brings great snacks because you know this is going to last forever and that some things are decided by leg wrestling. This is what I imagine it's like in there. I have no basis for that. I just, that's my prediction. I imagine that's exactly right. Dark velvet <laughs> drapery. Yes. Uh, a lot of smoke cigars in the room mm -hmm. and um you know little tumblers of of whiskey or yeah. something like that and um i bet they have the ice cubes that are the circles cursing mm -hmm. i think there's a lot of <laughs> cursing that goes on oh my gosh we're really good at this we know what's going yeah, on <laughs> you do i you know i think you'd be surprised actually at how few rooms are actually involved in this process in reality you know a bill author often just takes their bill uh, around and, and talk face to face with the conference committee members. Mm -hmm. And there may never be an actual meeting. Uh, oh, okay. there may never be an opportunity for, you know, those of us who want to weigh in on a bill to actually sit in a room and, and yeah. hear the discussion about yeah. the bill. So it's a frustrating process because, you know, it's really the least transparent time. Sure. But transparency is key right now. No. Yes. No. Yeah, and and that's not what we have. I mean, right now it's uh, there are bills being, um, you know, decided that they just won't hear them. I mean, one yeah. of the one of the agreements we just heard a rumor of is that uh, this week the Senate said it was not going to hear the Senate Bill Two, the bill that uh, prohibited trans women athletes from participating in women's sports in Oklahoma. Um, good, good. What we've been told is. Senate said, we're not hearing Senate Bill 2 because we heard that House Bill 1775 and sent that back to you all and the House wants that bill. And so they basically said, that's a trade we're going to make. I don't wow. know for sure if that happened. That's the rumor. And we haven't seen anything happen with Senate Bill 2 since it passed the House. Yeah. So, you know, it is a lot of, um, yeah, like you said, I mean, uh, no transparency and kind of trying to trying to figure out what is going on uh, <laughs> without it being very clear. Yeah. So what is happening with budget talks? We've seen different things in the news that those conversations seem to be getting more detailed. That's my understanding. Again, these are meetings that don't, you know, don't happen in, in the public eye. Yeah. Uh, they're all happening behind closed doors and, and with just, a, you know, you're talking a couple of people from the House, a couple mm -hmm. of people from the Senate, and a couple from the governor's office that yeah. are really uh, – trying to trying to make the agreements on I think they are getting into the final details now um, you know we're hearing that education is likely to have an increase in funds for the next school year um, you know we've got all the, the federal relief money mm -hmm. coming into our state and so we think that for at least this next year we'll be in really good shape yeah um, if there's but, ever there's ever a time that education needed extra support it's now in this post-COVID yeah, post time where our kids are going to have a lot of needs. It's still going to be several weeks, though, I think, until yeah. we actually see a version of the budget. Oklahoma, you know, speaking of transparency, is really one of the least transparent states in the nation in their budget process. I mean, really? a lot of states, in a lot of states, you see the budget from the beginning of session. Here's where really? we're at. This is what we're seeing. And everybody wow. gets to weigh in on, um, you know, in most states, you get to see the budget and and review it and advocate on it for far longer than in Oklahoma, where once that final version is out, it's really, this is it, take it or leave it. Wow. You know, we're not going to negotiate anymore on it. So that's, um, you know, now's the time because 
we don't always know where things are in that process. I mean, now is definitely the time for folks who, you know, support public education to be telling their legislators, um, I want you advocating for increases in public education or yeah. for educators themselves to be saying, here's what I need in my classroom. Yeah. For you, you know, work to make sure we get it. Well, we will be following along with you uh, for the next couple of weeks. So thank you for taking time to give us a look uh, into what's going on and for your advocacy over at the Capitol. Thank you all. We are joined today by Dr. John Cox of the Organization of Rural Elementary Schools. How are you, Dr. Cox? Doing fine, and thank you so much for having me on today. Yes, we are excited. We and and for those of you who might not know, um, Dr. Cox is also superintendent out in Pegs. Um, so, tell us about the organization of rural elementary schools. Who are you guys, and what do you do? Well, we've been around since 1983, mm-hmm. and basically, we were formed back then to fight consolidation because that's always been the issue. Right. Right. And so. Um, but we've done a really good job on letting people know how effective and efficient we are. So we've been able to survive, but we probably in the year 2000, we had around 116 schools and now we're down to about 94. Oh, wow. And so just over time, as people move into the cities away from rural areas, uh, just the population decline um, mm-hmm. closes our schools because you get to a certain point where you can't get enough funds to run a school. Right, right. So how has how has this pandemic year affected how our K-8 schools have been able to function? Well, I think we're able to survive through it. And I say survive because it's really an everyday deal. Decisions sure. are made um, at, on the moment. And, you know, sometimes you don't know if you're right or wrong. You're just trying to do the best job you can. But right. I think what... I think what's helped us is that we're community schools mm-hmm. and that uh, we're an integral part of our families. And and so we're able to maneuver through this that way. And our, our parents have trust in what we're doing mm-hmm. because they're right there with us. So although it's been an absolutely terrible year as far as trying to take care of people and children, mm-hmm. um, I think I think we've done as good a job as what you can do sure. in a pandemic. What are some of the challenges that you guys have faced this year that you think might be sort of unique to our more rural communities? Well, it's it's very tough because, you know, if, if there's one positive case, then it affects several families. And right, right. So it tends, it tends to put people more in quarantine um, fashion. So that is that is the challenge and how does that work with um within trying to educate them is there like is rural broadband an issue in your area and with our k-8 schools what are you hearing about technology this year yeah i I think there needs to be even a strong focus even with the new esther monies coming through and and e-rate monies that that we can get more technology or more um, broadband out through the rural areas. And and basically, if you live down in a valley or in a gully, um, you're probably not going to get uh, internet. And, yeah. and so we see families out through, no matter what hotspot we get them, they right. still cannot receive a signal. Right. And, but I know the area 
uh, internet services, they're trying really hard to get broadband out, but mm-hmm. that's the challenge. And then even with hotspots, they don't work as good as what you want them to. And yeah. But I just have to say our, our teachers and their assistants, they have just done a, a remarkable job on maneuvering through the glitches that come through Zoom. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because you power off, you power on, um, you know, and there's so many things going on in children's homes that, right. you know, interfere with the learning process. But right. I, I'm, I'm extremely proud of what our teachers have done. I, it's just amazing. It has been incredible. It yeah. is. So one of the challenges uh, that we seem to face every year as public education is a threat to uh, siphon funding through vouchers and tax credits away from public education funding and to um, private schools. And I want to, I want to know as, as a rural educator and part of the organization, how, how do vouchers affect what you guys do? Cause a lot of people don't view vouchers as a, as a rural issue. They think, Oh, that's just up in, up in town. Right. Well, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't directly affect, like my school district, we don't have private schools right. or um, places where that money can be redirected r- right here. But it, what it does is it affects the entire pot of money. And and I I don't try to just go out and oppose things without trying to study what the real sure. what the real need is or yeah. what the real agenda of the legislator is. And and so if it if it is true, which I believe it is, that, that we educate ninety percent of the children public ed does then there's another 80,000 children out there who are not who are Mm -hmm. either in public or or homeschool and homeschool they do a great job with that but there's about 80,000 students and and let's just say you fund them at the at the virtual charter school rate of 1.3 which is five thousand dollars a kid Mm -hmm. so that's 400 million dollars oh my gosh and so where does that 400 million come from? Does it, yeah. does it go to the state department and then they take it off before it ever comes to us? Yeah. Or does it come in a tax rebate where it never goes to the legislature to, to give out? So my worry is that that 400 million at some point, if they gave 5,000 to every student in a voucher or some way that we're never going to recoup that money mm-hmm. and they have to take it from somewhere. And so where is that going to be? So unless they come up with a dedicated revenue stream for that $400 million for scholarships, they have to take it from us, from yeah. public schools. And then there's going to be the other argument, well, if they can come up with that dedicated stream, then why can't we have it so that we can pay our teachers more, right. have more classroom supplies, and be able to buy the bus fuel, yes. uh, keep our buildings up, and, and those types of things. And, and so... That's a long story to say it doesn't directly affect us, but it absolutely does because, um, you know, $40,000, $50,000 difference in five or 10 kids leaving us and going somewhere else and taking that money with them, that is a teacher to us. So that's what I was yeah. going to ask about that. I mean, it seems like with a budget for our smaller districts, you are, you are walking the line with that funding, you know, like one family coming or going makes a big difference. Absolutely, it does, and, and and you know, with the school, anywhere from two to three hundred kids, it makes a difference. Because if 
if they take $5,000 with them and you're trying to pay for a teacher that that mm -hmm. child was in, mm -hmm. it's very difficult. And, and so, you know, there's been a lot of debate about the state aid formula and taking the second year, previous year away. That is significant to funding along with this because we don't know if they do that, we won't know how many people we can keep right. uh, for the current year. And, and, and I mean, that's jobs. That's jobs in that's well, jobs in communities, and yeah. and that is then tax, you know, raising tax revenue because people with jobs can then go buy stuff, yeah. which which helps all of our communities. Yeah, it does, it does. Well, it's a, it's just there is we do walk a line, and but but I said earlier that's why like our K eight schools are real schools we're able to survive because we are extremely tight with our money and we are extremely efficient. Right. And, and that's the message we've tried to put out is that, you know, if we're not efficient, then we don't need to be here. Mm -hmm. But, but if we take taxpayer money and we do what we're supposed to with it, then really they need to keep letting us do that. Yeah. What, what do you think, what's a myth or a misconception about K-8 schools that you, that you think people might not understand? Well, I, I, I think we've done away with a lot of the myths just because they know academically we're really strong. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. A lot of, and, and we're a unique uh, district because we don't belong to anybody else. And we're, we were really made back in statehood. And oh, it, wow. it was back in a time where you were supposed to have a school every quarter mile. Or right. Quarter section. right. Which is crazy and so, to think of today. So within my school district, um, I think there's at least 10 other school districts that have been consolidated within us over wow. the years. So we're 80 something square miles. So we're, Holy we're smokes. decently large school district, but I, I think we, I think early on when, when I was promoting arcade schools, I think people thought that we were just a place to maybe play ball or, mm. or the kids had fun. But mm -hmm. I think now people really see us as academic uh, institutions and, and mm -hmm. the kids that we help produce coming out to go to high school are really um, excelling. Talk about what uh, a rural school district means to its community. Well, it, I, I think it's everything to its community because I, over the years, I've seen where schools have been, uh, where they've been consolidated or annexed and that community completely disappears. Yeah, yeah. Uh, families move away, um, stores close, and basically the economy shuts down in that area. And so we believe the school is the community. Mm -hmm. And, and you know, and, and during a time of the pandemic, I think it even makes it more valuable because we, we are family and yep. we know each other. So if family goes away, you know, if school goes away, then, then, everything does in that area. Well, we appreciate the work that you're doing advocating for our rural schools because our communities, they're critical to our communities. Absolutely. Absolutely. Thank you for taking the time to visit with us today, Dr. Cox. We appreciate it very much. Absolutely. And probably just the last thing is yeah. everything we do is for a child. Yes. And I think that's the main message above all things and all these the voucher um, discussion and fight. It's all about helping a child. So mm -hmm. that's, that's what I would like to leave you with today. 
Thank you. That's a great message. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks a bunch, Dr. Cox. That was great. And welcome to Alicia's Morning Announcements. Do, 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 do. Uh, just a couple of announcements today. We have some caucus meetings coming up. The Black Caucus and the Republican Caucus are, are meeting uh, this week and next week. So go to okea.org slash caucuses um, or get the info on the legislative update that's coming out tomorrow. No, what is today? Friday? Tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so tomorrow. Um, and attend caucuses. I mean, this is where our members uh, get together collectively on things that they're interested in uh, and and, you know, push the organization. Get involved. Get involved. It is another way for you to get involved. Um, Delegate Assembly it starts today and yeah. um, and goes to tomorrow. So we are excited to have new business items this year. We're excited to have some of our pomp and, and pageantry that is normal at a delegate assembly, <laughs> even though it's virtual. And by pomp and pageantry, I mean, you know, like fireworks and confetti. But, okay. Or we just got a new podium. Or we got a new podium. <laughs> I'm that isn't that doesn't have to be put on another table and doesn't look like it's like graffitied and left over from like the detention hall and yeah. I mean somebody said breakfast that. at Tiffany's. Okay. <laughs> Well, I am looking forward to delegate assembly. It, I just think when you describe pomp and pageantry, it's virtual, but like there'll be like six of us in, in the conference room. room. And I'm like, that's a lot of pomp and a yeah. lot of pageantry. It'll just be us with our box lunches because we're meeting through dinner. <laughs> like It's from five to eight tonight. Oh, man. So glamorous. Um, also, a, an additional announcement is today... Today is your 50th birthday. It is. Alicia was born 50 years ago. It's been all uphill since she was born. <laughs> Most of that made by myself. I I am. Congratulations on the pomp and pageantry of your birthday, which will include a three-hour meeting on a Friday night. So Over dinner. It's going to be great. It's no, are be you, awesome. Do, um, did your family, have they celebrated you already? So um, my husband woke up. Uh, woke our 17 year old old up this morning because uh-huh. UConn's out of school today. Okay. And, um, and so she was not super happy <laughs> about having to wake up early on her day off Yeah, and, uh, come in and give me presents and cards. Oh, that's adorable. <laughs> but then she made me avocado toast for breakfast. And, oh man. Yeah. With the runny egg. Oh my gosh. You need to train so my good. kids. What are they doing? Well, uh, the ears aren't quite 17 yet. <laughs> well, so. true, true. Safety um, first. You know, speaking of age and birthdays, the other day, my 11-year-old says to me, Mommy, what was it like to grow up in the 1900s? And I was like, you're grounded. <laughs> you, why is there For hate in your heart? <laughs> ever. <laughs> you shut up. The, you know, the, like, the people who, like, people who are 21 this year were born in the year 2000. Like, what? That is so, it's so weird to me. To think that I'm 50 because a I don't feel 50. You don't look like 50. I don't. I don't know what that feels like. Now, if I let my hair grow out to its normal color, you would be like, "Oh, oh. she's 50." <laughs> <laughs> well, no better way to celebrate than getting your hair did and having your annoyed teenager <laughs> bring you presents. So, happy birthday! Thank you. 
Thank oh, you. Man. Well, we want to say thank you so much to Amanda Ewing of our legislative team and Dr. John Cox, president of the Organization of Rural Elementary Schools for joining us today. And thank you for listening to Fried Okra, even on Alicia's birthday, this public education podcast for Oklahomans. I'm Carrie Carpernal Jacobs with the Oklahoma Education Association. And I'm Alicia Priest, president of the OEA and the birthday girl. We <laughs> hope you'll join us again next week on Fried Okra. Until then, keep fighting the good fight for public education. Thank you.